Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the first Capital REITs Q4 and year-end results conference call. During this presentation, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. I would now like to turn the conference over to Allison. Please proceed with your presentation. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. In discussing our financial and operating performance and in responding to your questions during today's conference call, we may make forward-looking statements. These statements are based on our current estimates and assumptions, many of which are beyond our control and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in these forward-looking statements. A summary of these underlying assumptions, risks, and uncertainties is contained in our various securities filings, including our MDNA for the year ended December 31st, 2020, and our current AIF, which are available on CDAR and on our website. These forward-looking statements are made as of today's date, and except as required by securities law, we undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise any such statements. During today's call, we will also be referencing certain financial measures that are non-IFRS measures. These do not have standardized meanings prescribed by IFRS and should not be construed as alternatives to net income or cash flow from operating activities determined in accordance with IFRS. Management provides these measures as a complement to IFRS measures to aid in assessing the REIT's performance. These non-IFRS measures are further defined and discussed in our MDNA, which should be read in conjunction with this conference call. I'll now turn the call over to Adam. Thank you very much, Allison. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our year-end conference call. Our business started 2020 with a lot of momentum as a result of the important work and progress we made in 2019 but we were required to veer off our planned course very quickly as things changed in March when COVID-19 became a global pandemic and the first set of lockdowns were implemented across most of the markets in which we operate. We revisited our priorities and recalibrated to ensure the safety and well-being of our employees, tenants, and the business in general. There were a lot of things we didn't know then. However, one thing we did know is that we'd have quite the storm to weather through. We knew the work would be hard and not particularly fun, but we also knew that we had the tools and the people to do the job. Our team has been incredible. I look back on that period, especially the springtime, with enormous pride for the sacrifices, compassion, and tenant-centric focus that our team displayed. Once we started coming out of the first round of lockdowns, and our tenants who were deemed non-essential began reopening, we were very encouraged as customers flocked back and things were heading in the right direction. 
Then in the late fall, we were hit with the virus's second wave. Unfortunately, the health aspects of the second wave were much worse, even though there was much less of an impact on our business. This defies logic a bit. We believe things unfolded this way for a few reasons. The first is the strength and resiliency of our tenants. We have a significant percentage of tenants that are deemed essential. And in general, through the adaptation of their operating models, our tenants were more prepared by the time wave two arrived. The second reason relates to the quality of our real estate. There were weak tenants that didn't make it through to the second wave. Due to the strength of our locations, some of the space had already been released with stronger tenants in place. With restrictions reintroduced in many areas towards the end of last year, we aren't out of the woods yet and will take on the inevitable bumps ahead with vigor, but we also see the light in the distance. In short, we have never been tested like we have been over the last year. Our team and our real estate strategy were up to the test. I saw firsthand how our passionate team responded. Our executive team and our board are extremely proud. FCR's values have been demonstrated in real time when they mattered most. A review of our operating metrics also speaks volumes. Rent collections troughed in Q2 when 75% of our rent was collected, notwithstanding the closure of roughly half of our tenants. We have collected a lot more of the Q2 rent owing since then. As for the balance, we view most of it as an important investment in our small business tenant base by supporting them through SECRA and our own small business program, among other things. For the year, we collected 94% of our total gross rent. Certainly not a typical statistic, but considering the degree and length of the unusual restrictions that were in place throughout 2020, we view this collection percentage as a testament to the resiliency of our tenants and the quality of our real estate. Our leasing efforts were a bright light in 2020. In fact, all of our leasing metrics are indicative of what would have been a great year under normal conditions, not the circumstances presented by the pandemic. We completed a total of approximately 2.8 million square feet of leasing activity across 599 transactions during 2020. As always, the majority of the activity were lease renewals, which spanned a wide array of tenant categories from grocery stores to medical to restaurants to gyms. At FCR Share, the average rent increase for our 2020 renewals was a healthy 9.3%. This compares well with our five and 10 year averages of 8.4% and 9.0% respectively. Our new tenants included both traditional retailers to FCR, but also some new retail concepts we'll Kay will touch on. This leasing activity contributed to the highest in-place net rental rate we have ever achieved at $21.89 per square foot. All of these leasing metrics are very consistent with our pre-pandemic expectations. Moving on to the investment markets, which were quite unusual this year, although that didn't stop us from numerous achievements. Our development projects, all of which are exceptionally well-located in super urban markets, progressed well. Acquisitions were tempered in size, but not in impact, 
as we expanded and improved some of our strategic positions and development sites, such as in Liberty Village, in Yorkville, and Young and Rose Long, among, among others. On the disposition side, we completed a handful of transactions totaling $251 million. They included the full sale of our Windsor and Sherbrooke properties, resulting in FCR exiting those markets entirely, as well as strategic joint ventures on stable, grocery-anchored centers and the monetization of development density. A great effort by our investments team in a challenging market last year. In part owing to our investment activity, our demographic profile continued to improve. One of our most important demographic metrics is the population density surrounding our properties. Two years ago, we set an objective to achieve greater than 300,000 people within five kilometers of our properties on average. This was an ambitious target given we were at 250,000 people at the time, which was already well ahead of all of our peers. This quarter, we achieved our objective on time with an average of 304,000 people. Following year end, after extensive consideration by management and the board, we announced a 50% reduction in unit holder distributions. Given our strong liquidity position, low payout ratio, conservative financial leverage, and many other factors, we were afforded the luxury of time to assess the impact of the pandemic on FCR. While we don't believe there has been any permanent impairment to cash flows, we do believe the business is much better off to have the flexibility that the additional $95 million per annum provides. It puts us in a much better position to advance our real estate strategy while also further strengthening our balance sheet. This will lead to higher FFO per unit, higher NAV per unit, and lower financial leverage than would otherwise be the case, which is the reason we made the change. Although 2020 required a refocusing of immediate priorities, we continue to make significant progress on our ESG mandate, further embedding environmental, social, and governance principles into our business and culture. From a people and social perspective, we remain focused on fostering a corporate culture that ensures equal opportunity and well-being for all employees. We were again recognized by the Globe and Mail as one of Greater Toronto's top 100 employers, and we were honored to be listed in the Report on Business magazine in a new benchmark called Women Lead Here, a designation recognizing strong gender diversity metrics at senior levels. Building on our well-recognized gender diversity, we created our Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Council, which is focused on company-wide initiatives to further enhance inclusion in our culture and develop the diverse talent in our organization. We are also proud to have signed the Black North Initiative CEO Pledge to end anti-Black and systemic racism in Canada. For many years, First Capital has been a leader in supporting the communities where we operate through our public art program and our charitable giving. And in 2020, we advanced this directive by establishing the FCR Thriving Neighborhoods Foundation. Our foundation's mandate is to support charitable initiatives that are making an impact in the neighborhoods where we operate and is a natural complement 
to our business as we continue to make a long-term sustainable commitment to the communities we serve. As an employee-led registered charity, the foundation also empowers FCR employees to work together as one team with one purpose to engage in a common goal of helping FCR neighborhoods thrive. As strictly a starting point, this past holiday season, the foundation raised over $65,000 as part of its food drive in support of food banks across Canada within FCR neighborhoods. Every dollar was raised internally this year, for which I would like to personally thank all our employees and board members who contributed. From a governance perspective, our strength in ESG standards and disclosure was validated through numerous ratings, including achieving a AAA rating, the highest possible, in the Morgan Stanley Capital International ESG Ratings Assessment, which we have done for the last three years, as well as achieving high ESG quality scores from ISS. Looking forward, we remain committed to ESG as a perpetual process of improvement and at the end of 2020, we were very pleased to launch our five-year ESG roadmap. The roadmap identifies ESG initiatives that have direct alignment with our real estate strategy, as well as our company's culture. It strategically prioritizes our activities over a defined period to ensure our ESG efforts are focused across the organization and that responsibilities for executing our ESG mandate are properly resourced implemented and managed to generate value for all of our stakeholders. On the people side, I would like to formally welcome Neil Downey to FCR, who joined us earlier this year. Our industry is very familiar with Neil, so I will simply say that I feel fortunate that we attracted someone of Neil's skill set and caliber. He has already started making an impact and look forward to him joining this call next quarter. You're also very familiar with Kay Brecken. When I arrived at FCR just over six years ago, I inherited a lot of great things. One being a very experienced CFO who I was told was new to real estate, having grown up in the retail world. Well, the new to real estate description faded quickly as Kay was recognized early on as a leading CFO in our industry. We've accomplished a lot of things under Kay's tenure. Project BEST is a complete overhaul and implementation of our technology platform was definitely one of the biggest. It set us on a path of being at the leading edge of technological advancement and adoption with some amazing things coming on the foundation that we have built under K. Our reconversion of all strategy and brand, the Gazette transaction, and the over $4 billion of capital raised during her tenure are just a few. Her personality and calm demeanor also added an element of professionalism, humbleness, and compassion to our culture, traits that will continue to live on. Okay, on behalf of the board, the executive team, and our employees, thank you for your tremendous contributions to FCR over the last nearly seven years. I know we all wish you nothing but the best in your next phase of life. And with that, Kay, I will now pass things over to you. Thank you, Adam. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. 2020 was certainly not the year any of us were expecting. And if you had asked us a year ago 
These were certainly not the 2020 financial results we were expecting to report. However, we are pleased with how well our team navigated through an ever-changing environment and how our business performed in the face of truly unprecedented challenges. A number of our key operating metrics for 2020 were above their historical averages despite the challenges created by the pandemic. We collected 94% of the gross rent due for the year, which far exceeded our expectations at the start of the pandemic. Our rent collection numbers continued to improve throughout the year as we received payments from the federal and Quebec governments as part of the SECRA program. And our tenants continued to make payments as we finalized arrangements with them and as they received funds under the new SERS program. To date, we have collected 91% of the gross rent due for the month of January. We expect this number to increase as it did in prior months, as all final payments are received and processed. It's important to note that tenants have up to six months from the end of each 30-day reporting period to apply for the SERS program. So payments for any particular month may flow in well after the original due date. Adam noted earlier our robust leasing activity in 2020 despite the pandemic. I would like to touch specifically on some progress our team made in Yorkville Village, shown on slide six. In 2020, Yorkville Village was the top destination for international retailers entering the Canadian market. 13 new retailers entered the market in 2020 and 23% of them chose Yorkville Village for their first Canadian location. This includes Bash, a contemporary women's fashion brand from France, Couples Diamonds, lab-grown sustainable diamonds and engagement rings from the U.S., and Polestar, a high-performance electric car brand from Sweden. What's even more encouraging is that Yorkville Village's momentum continues in 2021. We are pleased to announce that the Webster, a multi-brand luxury retailer from the U.S., has also chosen Yorkville Village for their first Canadian location, which is slated to open later this year. Now turning to our fourth quarter results. On page eight of our conference call slides, our FFO per diluted unit for the fourth quarter decreased only one cent over the prior year period. The decrease was primarily due to the impact of property dispositions completed over the past 12 months, increased bad debt expense, and lower variable revenues from our hotel operations and from parking. EC clients were partially offset by reduced interest and corporate expenses and non-recurring reconversion costs in 2019. Our FFO for the full year declined 23 cents per diluted unit over the prior year. More than half of this decline was expected due to successful property disposition and repayment of outstanding loan receivables that occurred during 2019 and 2020, and by 7.8 million of non-recurring fee and dividend income earned in 2019. 
This decline in FFO was partially offset by lower interest expense as we reduced outstanding debt and by a reduction in shares outstanding due to the share buyback transaction in 2019. Increased bad debt expense of $22.2 million contributed to $0.10 of the FFO decline, which was partially offset by lower corporate expenses. Moving to slide 9, Q4 same property NOI decreased 4.3% and 2020 same property NOI decreased 7.1% over the respective prior year periods. The decrease in both periods was primarily due to increased bad debt expense and lower variable revenues from our hotel operations and from parking, which I previously mentioned. Additionally, the full year period was impacted by a 4.3 million year-over-year decline in lease termination fees as we recorded above average fees in 2019. On slide 10, we highlight our Q4 and 2020 lease renewal activity. Our 2020 lease renewal rate increase was quite strong at 9.3% and exceeded the average annual increase over the past five years of 8.4%. On slide 11, our 2020 average net rental rate grew a solid 3% over the prior year. As our above average renewal lifts, built-in rent escalations, new tenants opening at higher rates, developments coming online, and the impact of our disposition program all drove higher rental rates. Moving to slide 12, our total portfolio occupancy rate improved by 20 basis points during the fourth quarter and remains quite healthy at year end at 96.2%. This is above our five-year average occupancy rate of 95.9% and just 70 points shy of our all-time high occupancy rate of 96.9% which we achieved at the end of 2019. Slide 13 highlights the investments we made in development during 2020 and our largest active developments, which are primarily residential projects located in super urban neighborhoods in Toronto. These investment activities were funded by our disposition program. During 2020, we completed 251 million in dispositions, bringing our total dispositions over the past two years to 1.1 billion, putting us more than 70% of the way to achieving our 1.5 billion disposition goal. As a result of the significant progress we made in 2019 and in 2020 against our disposition targets, while continuing to make strategic investments in targeted super urban neighborhoods, our portfolio today has higher quality assets with increased density and stronger growth profiles and less downside risk, making it overall a more desirable and attractive portfolio. Slide 14 shows the factors impacting FFO and the year-over-year changes, which I previously discussed. Slide 15 touches on our other gains, losses, and expenses, which are included in FFO. Summarizes our ACFO metrics. ACFO for the fourth quarter and full year decreased primarily due to lower NOI, partially offset by lower interest and corporate expenses, which I previously mentioned. Slide 17 shows our financing activities for the year. We continue to take proactive measures to improve our liquidity and maintain our financial strength 
which provides us with greater flexibility to navigate through the pandemic. In January, we announced a temporary reduction in our monthly distribution, which will provide us with an additional 95 million of retained cash annually. Additionally, one of the measures we announced in the first quarter of 2020 to maintain financial strength and flexibility was our cost reduction program. Through this program, we had a goal to achieve 75 million in savings versus our planned spend from April through December of this year. This program included a reduction in property operating costs, general and administrative expenses, development spend, and elective maintenance capex. I am pleased to report that we exceeded our 75 million target for the year by 10 million. Slide 18 touches on our financial strength and flexibility. At quarter end, we had approximately 7 billion or 70% of our assets unencumbered, including the vast majority of our best assets. Our liquidity position as of February 9th remains strong and includes approximately 890 million of cash and undrawn credit facilities. Our term debt maturities are shown on slide 19. We have 5.4% or 238 million of our total debt maturing in 2021 at a weighted average interest rate of 4.7%. All of this debt could be funded by our existing liquidity or with long-term debt at substantially lower rates. Looking forward to 2021, given the uncertainty created by the second wave of the pandemic, we will not be providing 2021 guidance. However, I will speak to our expectations for our development program. We expect to invest approximately 150 million in development in 2021. We expect development completions to exceed our spend. And we expect to take minimal space offline for development. That concludes my comments on our Q4 and year-end results. As you all know, this is my last conference call. After three CFO roles across three different industries in two different countries and 17 years of audit committee reporting, I've decided it's time to retire. I would like to say a special thank you to Dory, who asked me to join FCR seven years ago, to Adam for his great partnership over my tenure, and to the entire FCR team for their support in taking FCR to the next level of corporate performance. It has been quite a journey, and I am very, very proud of all that the FCR team has accomplished. I would also like to say a special thank you to all of the FCR stakeholders and business partners who supported me in my role and supported FCR in achieving its strategic objectives. Retirement is never an easy decision when you work for an outstanding, dynamic company with a team of top-notch professionals who are not only your colleagues, but also close personal friends. However, it's certainly easier when you know you're passing the baton to one of the outstanding leaders in the real estate industry, Neil Downey, who I've had the opportunity I've had the opportunity to work with very closely over the past six weeks. I look forward to continuing to see the company flourish and grow under Neil's leadership. That concludes my comments. Lori, can you please open the call for questions? Certainly. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. 
If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. And the first question is from Dean Wilkinson. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you. Afternoon, everyone. Um, I guess we'll start with congratulations, Kay. Um, you beat me, but I'm on the Freedom 95 plan. Um, Adam, maybe just uh, on on the right sizing, if we can call that, of the of the distribution. There's a you've got a two-year runway on that. Is that a hard stop, or are there other metrics that you're looking at, either be it you know where where your payout ratio is or where leverage may sit, that might have you redress the the issue of that distribution before that two-year window? Um. Well, look. I mean, the, the, the way the way the board made the decision was, uh, as you saw, we we took our time to uh, really try and wrap our arms around what we believe the uh, the impact will be on FCR. And mm -hmm. um, you know, as time went on and we saw how the business performed under uh, you know the most adverse conditions that we had seen, we grew more and more comfortable that this was a uh, a short-term issue for us and not a medium or long-term issue. Uh, so, so no permanent impairment. Um, and then obviously we're, you know, we're running all sorts of forecasts that, that go into your decision-making around things like distribution policy, uh, you know, looking at FFO, looking at free cash flow, uh, importantly, looking at taxable income. And based on everything that uh, we had been looking at recently, um, it became pretty clear that uh, that that's that's the the likely path that the board would take, and so um, so we were just transparent about that vis-a-vis -vis our disclosure. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then in terms of the additional 190 million that you're going to accrue over the next two years, how do you see spending that? Is is the preference to pay down debt? Is it more development capital? Or given the fact that you're trading, you know, some 30 some odd percent below book value, um, is buying back shares at this juncture with that excess capital, you know, maybe the, uh, the the path of least resistance? Uh, yeah, look, we're 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 going to look at it, and uh, the flexibility it provides is is what what um, uh, you know, obviously it's not an easy decision, uh, but but what we're excited about as part of it is the flexibility it provides. So. Uh, there's no question that a uh, likely the most meaningful portion will go to debt reduction, and certainly that's uh, on an interim basis. That's the, the default uh, source of, of where that capital will go. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be very disappointed if that's the um, you know what, what we use 100 100 percent of it for, because uh, I think we will find pockets of opportunities to to use some of that capital offensively to grow. Uh, you know, FFO to grow NAV uh, and to strategically enhance some of our positions. So, um, you, you know, I, I would expect and hope that a portion of it is is used for for that type of investment. And um, you know, on, on the opportunistic side, everything would be on the table, including our our stock. Our stock. So, uh, you know, we, we will take our time to kind of assess that. Um, so, you know, lion's share should be used for debt reduction, but. Uh, you know, we also expect a meaningful portion will be used for uh, growth, used as growth capital. 
Okay, great. Those are my two questions and um, welcome aboard, Neil. Thank you, I'll relay the message. Thank you. The next question is from Sam Damiani. Please go ahead, your line is now open. Thanks, good afternoon everyone. And uh, I'll start off by congratulating UK. Wish you all the best in your uh, retirement, we'll call it. I'm sure you won't be thinking of us as you're snowboarding and mountain biking down the hills. Um, just on the quarter, could you tell us if the bad debt expense included any reversal of previously booked provisions? Uh, no, Sam, there's no reversal in the quarter. And on the same property NOI, could you give it to us excluding the hotel? Um, I don't have the number right off the top of my head, Sam, but it's certainly something we can follow up with you on. Okay. And and just on the renewal uplift, it did uh, you know narrow to five and a half percent in the fourth quarter. Was there anything unusual there from a leasing perspective, or would you just attribute it to slowness during the pandemic? Hi, Sam. It's Carm. Um, you know, let's keep in mind that quarter leasing spread stats have a high degree of variability, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively then do the annual leasing spreads. We saw this play out in Q1 when we had a 16.7% lift, mainly driven uh, by a food store that was resetting their rent to market. And then we experienced, experienced this again in Q4, where we had several fixed flat renewals, including 150,000 square foot Walmart. Uh, these types of uh, impacts have a tendency to normalize over the course of the year, as you know. We, we had a tough year, but we thought we were very pleased with the 9.3%. Yeah, we just had an above uh, average uh, amount of uh, flat or fixed renewals uh, in Q4. So we always encourage people to look at these, as Carm says, over you know at least a one-year period, because you can get uh, you can get uh, a lot of volatility in any given quarter. And that's what we told everyone. Uh, remember in Q1 when it was uh, the other way too. So at least we're consistent. <laughs> How's the leasing going uh, in 2021 year to date? Certainly you had a pretty pretty good uh, fourth quarter. Uh, Sam, it's Carm again. The, uh, the pipeline is, uh, is pretty strong. Um, you know, so far we've got, um, I'd say, about a million square feet in the pipeline, 700,000 square feet of renewals, another 300,000 square feet of new deals. Uh, and those aren't far off from our typical averages. Yeah, similar to what you saw in 2020, uh, things look <laughs> even though they're not, they look very normal when you look at our leasing stats and, um, and you know, that has continued into 2021 thus far. Fantastic. Thank you. I'll turn it back. Okay. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. The next question is from Pommy Burr. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, thanks. And hi, everyone. Um, just as, as you think about, you know, maybe the year ahead and maybe sticking with the leasing uh, line of questioning, you know, what segments of the tenant base are you perhaps maybe a bit concerned about and um, how do you sort of see occupancy trending over the course of the year? You told me there'd be a lot of questions on leasing today. Um, so that's two questions. So I'll answer the first one. Um, you know, we're seeing strong demand from uh, several categories from QSR, food stores, drug stores, dollar stores, daycares, pets, medical. And these are uses are usually you know, traditionally FCR type tenants. 
that we are always actively pursuing. Uh, we're really not seeing any softness in these categories. Um, in terms of trends, I think one thing that is coming out is tenants are requesting a little more time for fixturing to work through their potential third-party delays associated with licensing, construction, and um, building permits. Um, and you know, I can all add that some deals are taking longer to get done as companies are overwhelmed with COVID issues and including the respective legal departments. There's been some lag in getting deals turned around. Uh, in terms of occupancy, you know we're coming off of our record 96.9 in Q4 2019. And after almost three quarters of COVID, we feel our occupancy is held up pretty well. We would not be surprised to see some erosion in occupancy in Q1, stemming from you know, any remaining COVID fallout and normal tenant seasonal churn. Under the current circumstances, uh, you know, it's hard to give an estimate beyond a quarter, but I think uh, we'll be close to our existing um, occupancy minus uh, 10 bits. Yeah, we're, 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 and it's coming through in the leasing to statistics, Palmy. We're not, we're not seeing softness, but we're, we believe there is likely softness. Um, again, given our exposure to this, we, we're not necessarily speaking out of first hand, but uh, likely in, uh, you know, cinema use, I got to imagine that uh, uh, that's a soft uh, use right now. And, uh, you know, a mid, mid, you know, mid-fashion, mid-tier apparel, so not luxury, which uh, that we do have some exposure to and is much better than we would have anticipated, both in terms of uh, sales activity um, in, in those spaces, but also interest in expanding the footprint. Kate touched on, you know, some of those, the, the neighborhood we have that, that use is Yorkville. Um, uh, but, and then the value, you know, or discount end of, of the apparel spectrum uh, appears to be doing quite well. That that mid tier, though, we we would imagine uh, is still going through a bit of a tough slug. But we're not, you know, we're not we're not seeing softness in our core categories. And you know, when you look at the leasing statistics, that that certainly corroborates that. Thanks for that. No, that's uh, that's good color. And I guess just sticking with this whole discussion on the uh, on the spreads uh, that you were able to accomplish last year, again, pretty good numbers. Um, you know, certainly in a pandemic. Similar expectations for for 2021 in terms of being able to, you know, be into that, be in that sort of high single digit range, or um, again, perhaps be a bit of softening if there is perhaps some occupancy erosion. Yeah, look, we we think the numbers were good in a even in a non-pandemic environment, um, but we 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 don't see anything at this stage uh, that would indicate. That there will be a, any material erosion in in those renewal spreads in 2021 or beyond. Got it. Um, just maybe switching gears, looking at the uh, the assets that are are held for sale. What what can you share in terms of the mix between you know the income producing versus uh, perhaps density? And then secondly, the, um, have you seen any perhaps noticeable, noticeable change with respect to the appetite maybe for for grocery anchored assets? Yeah, the, 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 your latter point is quite a, uh, an interesting one, and uh, it's a dynamic market, so things have been changing quite a bit. Uh, the, the, the mix that's sitting in held for sale is very similar to the mix of assets we sold last year, uh, uh, except there's a, a little more weighting in uh, development density where we are planning to monetize 
uh, some of that uh, where we plan to bring in a strategic partner given their platform expertise for the uses other than retail in these mixed-use projects. Um, so th there's, a, there's a decent chunk of development density that's, that's in there. There's a small component of uh, some still small, you know, what I call remnant assets that uh, we've decided don't fit our business anymore where we'll look to monetize 100%. These are now small given how much has changed. And when you look at the bottom of the portfolio, there's very little of that left. Um, and then there'll, there'll be a handful of what we uh, believe will be stable shopping centers uh, similar to the transaction or one of the transactions we closed late last year where we brought in a strategic um, partner uh, to co-own those with where FCR is the managing partner. And um, you know, that just allows us to be more efficient with our capital, retain the benefits of scale, uh, and ideally grow in markets uh, that may not be super urban uh, so allow us to grow by owning more properties at 50% than fewer properties at 100%. So I, I think there'll be some of there's some of that in in the health for sale bucket as well. Thanks very much. Uh, on on your last point, uh, yeah. sorry, on your last point regarding grocery anchored centers, um, there has been uh, what appears to be a heightened uh, level of interest uh, in some of the available capital looking for real estate investments. Um, where, where I think early on, uh, a lot of that capital immediately gravitated towards the industrial and multifamily sector. And, um, you know, that's really pushed pricing up for, for those assets. And certainly on a relative basis, um, there, there's, there's, there's a, a keen interest in the value proposition because we have not seen cap rate compression yet for good, stable uh, assets. Uh, I think that's likely if this interest rate environment remains um, with rates as low as they are and expected to be for, you know, at least some t some reasonable period of time. Um, every dollar generated from a cash-flowing asset should be worth more. And, um, you know, so assets that are gross anchored centers that are stable um, and have, have proved that through, through this pandemic, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're repriced in a, in a positive way because the, the gap between cap rates today on those assets and bond rates, as you know, is exceptionally wide. Um, and that, that's very unlikely to last. So I guess just, just on that point, or sorry, on, on the overall program, do you see yourselves hitting that $1.5 billion target um, at some point this year? Uh, that, that's possible, but, you know, we're not going to be disappointed if we don't. Um, you know, we're in a very unique period of time right now where we feel like, you know, we're kind of getting towards the end of the pandemic in terms of the major restrictions that have been imposed, vaccinations, while it's been slow out of the gate. You know, that, that's going to ramp up in a big way over the next several months. And so um, we own great real estate. Uh, they're cash flowing. Uh, things continue to get better. Um, we're not interested in selling any assets cheap uh, or at a discount. Um, so these are all the factors that will weigh. Uh, one of the other things that, you know, the distribution adjustment did is it gave us additional flexibility on that front. So uh, we will use that to our benefit and um, we will actively pursue dispositions. I think it's safe to say that whatever we do do this year is much more likely to be second half year loaded versus front half um but you know we're not we're, we're not uh, we're not going to set uh, we're not going to uh, tell you that you know over the next you know 10 months we're definitely going to 
get to that goal. Um, we are definitely going to get to that goal. I'm just going to, not going to limit it to that time frame given the state of the world. Thanks very much, Adam. I will uh, turn it back. Okay, appreciate it, Pommy. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Tal Woolley. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Tal. Hi, Tal. Um, just back to leasing for a second. Um, I'm wondering, like, when you speak with, uh, you know, some of the weaker tenants that you've had, you know, you probably had to deal with on SECRA um, negotiations and things like that, you know, do you have any sense, like, from them that, you know what, like, they feel like these programs are going to help them sort of get through to the other side of this? Or as the longer this is kind of dragging on, that there might be a little bit of, I don't know, you know, like, we're going to, we might, we might be, we might be uh, exiting the business if not, you know, once these, once these programs end, you know, has the tone, I guess, shifted from your tenants, uh, you know, some of the weaker tenants uh, over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, it has, it has changed uh, quite a bit, Tal. Uh, unfortunately, this has gone on for whatever, at 10 or 11 months now. Uh, uh, the, 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 the positive side of that is it's flushed through uh, the vast majority of the weak tenants. So, um, you, you know, our, our, our belief based on our discussions with tenants today and our observations with tenants today is that by and large, if, if they've made it this far, they're making it all the way through. Um, okay. And, you know, there's a small handful where uh, they still are under a lot of pressure given the restrictions and the nature of their business. We have looked at these tenants uh, and the ones we have left that fit into that category. We are uh, of the strong belief based on their track record and our view of the world uh, and, you know, some of the social mobility habits that are likely to resume uh, as we saw in the summer and we expect they'll resume once these lockdowns are lifted. We believe that they're very successful businesses that are going to be great fits for our merchandising mix as they always have been. And so we're going to keep working with, with those. Uh, but the weak ones, um, you know, that were, and, and they were all weak pre prior to COVID. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, we didn't have a lot of them. Um, they're gone. They're done. Um, and so, you know, to make it this far, it's hard to imagine the majority of them uh, are just hitting their end point at this stage, given how much pain uh, a lot of them have endured. Okay, that's good. Um, if we if we look at, like, the stronger part of your tenant role, um, are, you know, are you seeing any sort of movement on the, on the side of retailers, like, trying to be a little bit more hard-nosed because they think they might have a little bit of the upper hand now through this period or not? Like if I think of like the grocers, pharmacists, that, those kind of those kind of retailers. I know uh, they're sharp all the time, but I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, not so much them. Uh, you know, if we have to describe it based on a broad category, um, you know, unfortunately, some of the large U.S.-based uh, retailers have, have tried to uh, you know, what I'll call play, uh, play hardball. I don't know if that was a term you referenced, but, um, yeah. you know, tried us on for size. Uh, <laughs> like I said, we understand the value of our real estate. We, we're not invested in uh, our tenants per se. We're invested in the real estate. And we know that over time, tenants will change. We're not afraid of that. Um, and, and so the discussions are have been pretty short. Um, but have we been tried on for size? Absolutely. Okay. Um, the loan and mortgage book, uh, that's, you know, been running down uh, in size over the last couple of years. Um, how should we think about that going forward? Is that something you just continue to kind of wind down here? That's a source of potential liquidity for you? Or um, do you expect to keep that at a certain level? 
Yeah, no, we, we even though it's a, a small part of our business, uh, uh, we would view it as a core part of our business. And so uh, you, you will see a fluctuation in loan balances strictly based on opportunity. But uh, we, we look at that, that part of the business and, and what we see is uh, very attractive risk-adjusted returns. But more importantly, uh, almost every loan that we have outstanding uh, is done on a piece of real estate that we would be happy to own. And so um, not necessarily through default, but through, through other means, a lot of this is, you know, merchant developers. So, um, you know, we, we hope and expect it will continue to be a pipeline for uh, additional real estate on the equity side over time. And so it's a great combination for us because we, we are in a great current risk-adjusted return and uh, there's a possibility that we could get into some of this real estate on a longer-term basis uh, through equity. So, um, But based on the opportunities, that's where you know that loan balance will fluctuate. And so it's, it's certainly operating at the low end of where it's run and um, I wouldn't expect it to go uh, down materially from here. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, Christy Cookie, uh, just wondering if we could get an update on uh, when you might expect zoning and transit decisions for that site. Uh, hi, it's Shorty. How are you? Not too bad. Good. Um, so it's a uh, it is a process, as you can imagine, uh, that we're involved in. Um, you know, we're reluctant to comment because we are uh, in the midst of that process. I, I can tell you in general terms. Uh, the process is running uh, certainly better than than we had expected, uh, and um, I would say we will uh, look forward to providing further color probably in the next uh, quarter or two. And some of the transit decisions that were sort of passed last week in council, I, I, like it looks like the Liberty Village station, you know, there's no major changes there. I, the only one I didn't know is like the Park Lawn station. Did that is that like officially a go or or not? That was not part of that announcement. You are right about the King Liberty Station, which will have certainly a positive impact in our holdings in Liberty Village in particular. Uh, but with respect to the Park Lawn Station, that was not part of that announcement, notwithstanding, um, you know, we are making progress in that regard as well. Although okay. I believe they did put it on the map. <laughs> yeah. They did, they did put it in the text, but there is, there is a nice little green go dot on the, pro on the property. So. Yeah. No, that's why I wanted well, to add. the hint, hint. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I guess my last question is for Kay. Um, congratulations. I, I think I followed you at two of your three CFO jobs. Um, so I uh, wish you the best of luck. Um, the March 21 notes, uh, is there a plan in place for those or is that uh, on the to-do list for your successor? Hi, Tal. Thanks for the congratulations. Um, yeah, when we did our last adventure offering, uh, we did say we were pre-funding um, that maturity. So I would say uh, that was the, that was the plan when we did the financing last fall. Um, but we will continue to opportunistically look at our term debt ladder in light of how attractive um, current financing is, and see if there's opportunities to extend term uh, within the ladder. Uh, but nothing specific right now to speak to. Okay, perfect. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you, Thank Tal. You. Once again, please press star 1 on your device's keypad if you have a question or comment. The next question is from Jenny Ma. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good afternoon. 
Jenny. Kay, congratulations. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with you, and I wish you all the best going forward. Thanks, Jenny. I wanted to touch on the development projects. Um, I know in the past you talked about a development yield sort of plus or minus 5% for the projects, and I'm just wondering, for the current slate that's active, is that still a fair expectation? Yeah, yeah, and, and we, we update that every quarter, as you know, in our MDNA. So you haven't seen uh, uh, much movement there, um, or at least we did until recently. So uh, they're still tracking based on the latest uh, disclosure. Um, so for the active projects, they're still tracking to that same yield. Okay, great. And then when we think about how you're looking at future projects and how you're underwriting them, I'm just wondering, is there any change in the development yield expectation, particularly on the multifamily side, uh, given that uh, there's an intersection between you know, where bond yields have gone and what that's meant for cap rates versus, I guess, uh, a heightened development risk or sense of development risk and maybe some short-term pressures on multifamily rental rents on the higher end. How do you think about that going forward? Has your decision-making process changed or, or uh, evolved a bit? Uh, it, it's definitely evolved. Um, so we're, we're, we're looking at it very carefully, and uh, certainly at this stage we're taking a more cautious approach to new starts. Um, and new start decisions will be impacted by a variety of factors, um, you know, including the position of our balance sheet, progress on dispositions, the risk of the development, whether it be on the cost or the revenue side, um, and general market conditions. Yeah, there's no, there's no question that multifamily rental property cap rates, uh, there, there's been enough data points to make it clear that the cap rates are lower, which would generally imply development yields will, will follow to some degree. Uh, so we will watch that carefully um, uh, because, you know, a, a, especially out west, like we have a, it's a small project, but we have a small, um, uh, mainly residential rental project with a little bit of retail in North Vancouver. And, you know, the cap rates are, are, are staggering. So even though you develop to a, a lower yield, uh, the profit is actually quite, quite astounding. Um, so the, 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 there's no question that given everything that's occurring in the world, our thinking on it has evolved. Um, and I, I expect that's going to continue, Jenny. So um, uh, just given how dynamic the environment is. So, uh, so it is something we're watching carefully and uh, definitely a more cautious approach to making any major new commitment in the immediate future. Okay. Does that suggest that you made, in terms of timing, that your approach may have slowed a bit because part of it is that, um, you know, you're cautious, more cautious overall, but these things obviously take time. So I guess there's an argument to be made that you can sort of look past it because uh, you're not going to be renting any of this until, you know, five plus years out. So maybe it's, uh, it's less of an issue and you can sort of look past it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's certainly not lost on us. Um, but you know, when Kay referenced uh, an anticipated development spend of $150 million next year, uh, that, that, that's not an atypical number for us, but it is uh, meaningfully lower than what we thought it would be 12 to 18 months ago. So we did, we did take it down, uh, and we deferred uh, certain projects that have income in place where, you know, that affords us the luxury. It's different when you're sitting on a, a non-income producing property that costs you more every month you hold it. Um, 
the majority of our development pipeline sits in the form of you know, productive income producing properties today where we have redevelopment rights and you know the timing on when we trigger those is in our control and so we've we've chosen to not uh, trigger them in some cases um, so so the, the the development spend uh, is down from what we expected it to be you know a little over a year ago mm-hmm. great uh, that's a very useful insight thank you okay, thank you Jenny thank you there are no further questions registered at this time. I'll turn the meeting back over to Adam Paul. Okay, thank you very much, Lori. Thank you everyone for taking the time today to join us uh, on our year-end conference call. Have a great day. Thank you. The conference is now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.